According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our purpose is growth, of course. Join me briefly, if you would, in Luke chapter 13. Do not be misled by what you see on the screen. We are not, uh, you're not lost or confused. I'm not lost or confused. Well, maybe just a little bit. Luke chapter 13, where we were last week and the week before. We're returning to our study on uh, the parables of the mustard seed and the leaven, which is episode number 17 in the last Judean and Prean ministry of Jesus. So like I said, don't get confused by what you're reading up there. That's not uh, accurate, and yet it is. And you'll understand that here in a moment. Luke chapter 13. Also, uh, LaRosa, you don't have to worry about relabeling anything or... We can still post this uh, where it belongs in the last Judean and Prean ministry. As we read it here in verses 18 through 21, so he was saying, what is the kingdom of God like and to what shall I compare it? And the like statements, the similes, as we would call them, when anytime you use like or as, you have a simile in uh, English composition or a metaphor. If you are representing something with something else, and, uh, and you're not using like or as. It's not a simile. It's a metaphor. Well, here we have, it's a comparison that's being drawn. What is the kingdom of God like and to what shall I compare it? And we have here a proverb or a parable that is drawing that simile, drawing that comparison and teaching the kingdom of heaven, or actually technically in this passage, the kingdom of God, teaching that uh, in terms of these, these two parables, the mustard seed and the leaven. It is like a mustard seed which a man took and threw into his own garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air nested in its branches. And again he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? So again he said, meaning same thing he did the first time, he's going to do a second time, he's going to teach what is the kingdom of God like, and to what shall I compare it? And again he said, uh, it is like leaven which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leavened. So these are two parables, the mustard seed and the leaven, two parables that were developed much more thoroughly in the Galilean ministry back during the, that's why I put this slide up on the screen, it was episode number 27 in the last, in the uh, Galilean ministry, the famous parables of the kingdom, uh, Matthew chapter 13. So now that we've fixed our bearings, um, I I do want to take at least this session before we move on uh, and review what these parables are about, the parable of the mustard seed, the parable of the of the leaven. But I want to go ahead and go back to Matthew 13 and teach it out of that context so that we have some of the bigger picture involved and uh, something that's worthwhile doing uh, a number of times is like the plan of God. It's a study that you can do frequently uh, and remind yourself of the various uh, principles that help us to fix our bearings. In other words, who are we? Where are we? What are we doing? Um, things of that nature. So we don't get confused. We don't miss our role or, or lose track of the fact that we're not Israel. We're not under law. We're not in the Old Testament. We're church. We're in Christ. We're in the New Testament. We have a different uh, purpose, a different uh, uh, system for operating, different goals, different objectives, different destinies. 
as far as it goes. And um, these are the kind of studies that will help us to fix our bearings in that regard. So uh, join me in Matthew 13 then. The entire chapter is 52 verses long. We won't cover the whole thing. I will zero in on the parables that Luke records there in chapter 13. And yet, I think there's some background and fundamental introduction that we want to uh, remind ourselves of here as well. So, let's take a moment uh, before we do any of that, though, to uh, lower the blinds and make the room a little darker. Take the glare off. Also, uh, check our cell phones and make sure our noise-making devices are set to a non-noise-making setting. And sometimes, when you're trying to be quiet, even the process of making it silent has a jingle has a noise that goes with shutting the thing up. And, and to me, that doesn't make any sense either. I mean, if you're trying to, like that. See, what did I say? When you're trying to shut the thing up, don't you want it to be quiet? Yeah. Why do they do the jingle when you're shutting it down? I, anyway, maybe I'm just crazy. Well, when I'm emperor of this planet, there's going to be some changes around here. Something I plan to address. All right. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do just want to come before your throne of grace this morning with thankfulness and celebration. I I enjoy these mornings, Father. We have a, a good early morning prayer time. The ladies get a prayer time. We have a a, uh, a Bible study here in, in uh, just a very relaxed atmosphere and, and fellowship, Father. We just thank you for the, the Life of Christ series. Here we are up to 259 or something like that in the sessions we've had studying the life of our Savior, His ministry, His travels, His messages, um, His very character that we, each one of us, we want to be imitators of our Savior. So, Father, as we once again open... Uh, uh, open your word. We ask that you would open our eyes. Father, we ask that you would give us the eyes to see, the ears to hear, and a heart to understand. And Father, if there's any distractions or issues of uh, anxiety or concerns or anything, Father, that would uh, detract from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ, Father, we ask for you to remove those at this time and turn our, uh, turn our eyes upon you, Father. Take every thought captive in obedience to Christ Jesus. Teach us from your word that truth which we need. We need it so desperately each and every day. And I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right. This is a considerably older slideshow, and so I don't have all of my markers or cues or things exactly lined up. We'll, we'll do some hunting around and guessing as we bring the slides up. But um, as we look at Matthew 13, we note that he spoke many things to them in parables. Matthew 13:3. He spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow. And he introduces parable number one here, which is the parable of the sower. There are seven of them in this chapter. Parable number one is the sower from verses three through nine. And then it gets a second shot at it with the explanation in verses 18 through 23. Parable number two is the tares and the wheat from verses 24 through 30. That also gets an explanation. In verses 36 through 43, the uh, mustard seed, parable number three. And that's the one we're going to focus on today because that's the one that has the parallel in Luke 13. That's found here in verses 31 and 32. And then the leaven immediately follows that. It's the fourth parable of this chapter. 
and that is verse 33. And so that's why last week in the notes we gave you the mustard seed and leaven out of Luke 13, verses 18 and 19, 20 and 21, and showed you the parallel here in Matthew 13. Now before we address any of those specifically, let's remind ourselves what the kingdom is. Because kingdom confusion um, distorts a lot of things for a lot of believers. And we do have a place in the kingdom. We have an orientation to the kingdom as church-age saints uh, in the Gospels, and in, or in the book of Acts, I should say. And later in the epistles, there is reference to the kingdom that we don't want to minimize or dismiss. We, but we want to place it in the proper context, similar to something we do quite often with respect to the wedding supper or the wedding feast. All right. And I teach them as two separate things. Some pastors teach them as the same thing. But anyway, whatever you do with the wedding supper and or the wedding feast, we are not invited guests to either because we are the ones issuing the invitations. We are the bride. We and our husband are issuing the invitations to the wedding supper and the wedding feast. So um, so it is with the kingdom. When you consider who the citizens of the kingdom are, and you consider that our role is not citizenship, because our citizenship is already vested in heaven, uh, we are royal family, we are the bride, we are, our Lord is the king, and we reign with him. All right, and if you want to use a queen imagery for that, that is consistent with Psalm 45, and there is a uh, case to be made for the bride of Christ in a... Um, feminine gender reigning function and in English that would be the queen function to our savior the king Um, so what is our orientation to the kingdom and here's where it has to come because if we're not careful we will fall into a crusader mentality that we're bringing in the kingdom okay and we've even got there are hymns that border on trouble and some hymns even cross beyond the borderline into trouble in terms of we're marching to Zion. We're, you know, we get a marching. We get it. Into, I'm not criticizing. I actually like the song. It's good music and enjoyable. As long as we understand that the march is metaphoric, as long as we understand that the striving is evangelistic, that we are proceeding forward and we're not bringing it in through human effort, and we're not transforming this cosmos, what uh, McGee used to call whitewashing the devil's world. We're not here to transform the cosmos. We're not making the world a better place. The world is a worse place than it was in the last generation. It's going to be even worse in the next generation. That's why we have to be faithful to teach the Word of God to each coming generation. So uh, kingdom, the, the twisting of kingdom principles really works a lot of believers over because first of all, they get involved in things they shouldn't be and then they get very passionate about it and then that passion gets spoiled when they get disillusioned when things seem to be getting worse. And things getting worse is testimony to how accurate the Word of God is, but it flies in the face of what their flawed theology tells them they should be expecting. And so devastated uh, kingdom uh, pursuant uh, theology, uh, it, it shatters a lot of folks. And even uh, other aspects in terms of social protests and, and, and uh, marching and all, you know, everything and protesting and all of that. What is your objective? What are you hoping to accomplish and why? 
and show me the New Testament mandate that gives you the authorization to engage in such a thing. So, parables of the kingdom. As we look at it, he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow. Now, I want to give some principles here. And these, this is review. I should have actually um, run off some copies of this. That might have been a neat idea. Um, oh, well, look at the screen, and then maybe when class is over, we can run off some, some copies. Let's talk about what a parable is. Parabole, parable is not even a translation. It's simply a transliteration. You take the Greek word parabole, and you give it English lettering, and you, get, you come up with a word that's not an English word, but it is kind of used as an English word. The word is parable. And what it is, it's a narrative or saying of varying length designed to illustrate a truth, especially through comparison or simile. And that's what we have here in the kingdom of heaven parables. It, it's this is like that. This is like that. Okay? And we want to understand that in a, the, the nature of parables is that we're presenting one thought. One concept, one comparison, one similarity. We're not trying to draw a comprehensive, exhaustive, point-by-point, line-item, identical clone. That's not what a parable is designed to do. All right? And uh, you'll see that. The, the mustard seed says one thing and one thing only. And the thing it's communicating there is explosive growth. Explosive growth. That's what the mustard seed is. From the tiniest of seeds to the biggest of trees in the shortest amount of time, the, the principle being explained there is explosive growth. That's the, that's the fundamental thought. Okay? There are other details maybe that the, the scripture also describes. We'll look at those. But there's one thought per story. Likewise, leaven. What's leaven? The spreading of filth. Okay? And it spreads. It spreads. It spreads. It spreads. What does leaven do? It spreads. Does it ever stop? Does it ever decide, you know what, I'm not going to spread this time? You can, you can leaven a lump and then all of a sudden uh, you divide it up and, and, well, all the leaven just stayed right here in that one part. It didn't go to the other. No, it's not what leaven does. Leaven spreads. All right, I understand eventually it can stop its fermentation process at, at some point, but not until the, thir- the thorough spread has saturated the entirety of the, uh, of the dough. All right, probably. That's your turn, number 3850. You can render it as an illustration, a parable, a proverb, or a maxim. And uh, it was widely esteemed by Greek uh, uh, rhetoric. Uh, Aristotle, in fact, even had um, some favorable comments to, uh, if you ever read Aristotle and his rhetoric, uh, book 2, section 20, verses 2 and following. You can pursue that. Um, the Septuagint translates mashal, and mashal gets rendered as parabole in 28 of its 33 occurrences. In other words, the 33 times that mashal occurs in the Old Testament, the Septuagint, uh, 28 of those times, uses parabole as the translation. And that's uh, what you have with proverbs, maxims, similes, a variety of ways to, uh, to interpret that. The book of Proverbs is, in fact, called Mishlei Shlomo, the Proverbs of Solomon. So Jesus is giving a proverb here. He's giving a proverb or parable. You can call it either one. I'm going to pass by a couple of these other things. Look with me, though, at verse 11 in Matthew 13, and I want to bring something to your attention because they ask him, after parable number one is done, before he even gets to parable number two, why do you speak to them in parables? This was different. This was unusual. 
Peter and Andrew and these guys, they've been traveling with him for a while now at this point. He's thick in the middle of the Galilean ministry at this point. And um, he's giving parables, a lengthy section of parables. And Peter even, or the disciples, whoever's speaking here, knows that he's speaking to them, not to us, but to them. The disciples asking this question are differentiating between the recipient audience of these parables and the kind of teaching they normally get. All right. Well, why is that? Why is there a difference between them and us, these large crowds and us? Why is the teaching different in that setting than in this setting? Okay. And Jesus answered them to you. It has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. Now, this is termed mystery doctrine. And actually, different from church age mystery doctrine uh, that Paul would reveal, for example, in Ephesians and elsewhere. We've taught doctrine of Musterion several times. This is actually mystery doctrine, but it is mysteries in the plural. Mysteries in the plural. And there's a variety of things going on here, and I want to make sure we're clear on it before we uh, move on next. We've got some neat things coming up in, in John 10. Uh, but before we can finish what we're doing in Luke 13, I want to make sure we're solid on this. And in part, uh, it struck me in my thinking when uh, I started rereading the Plan of God reader that's coming out next week, when we start to finally get those in hand, um, that more and more of the believers here at Austin Bible Church are being equipped to think Alpha to Omega, to think from beginning to end and have the whole comprehensive plan of God, at least in a basic structure, in our thinking. All right? So if... Um, can I do this? Maybe I can't. All right. Never mind. My second bright idea of the day. If uh, <laughs> first one didn't work either. If uh, you can think your way through from Alpha to Omega and you understand, OK, we are the church. We are this. That's the you know, you show up at the mall and that you are here sticker is right there on the map. We are at the church age. That's where we are. We are the body of Christ. We are the church has been the, the steward on earth since the day of Pentecost in 33 AD. And it continues to be the steward until the trumpet sounds and the church is raptured out. Okay. That's where we are. That's who we are. But we haven't always been the stewards. There were stewards before the church came around. <coughs> and so just thinking in general terms, <coughs> before the church had stewardship, Israel had the stewardship. Israel, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, were God's stewards on this earth. And they were the custodians of the Hebrew scriptures. Before there were any Greek scriptures, before there were any Gentile scriptures, there were Jewish scriptures in the Hebrew language, what we call today the Old Testament. Israel had the stewardship. They weren't always the stewards, however, because there was a time when there weren't any Jews. There was a time before Abraham. And so stewardship from Adam to Abraham was vested in the Gentiles, or I actually prefer to call it the dispensation of man, because I believe that just as there were no Jews before Abraham, there were no Gentiles before Abraham either. There was just simply people, human beings, uh, Adamic descendants. And until Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were called apart, sanctified, separated, and, and called to be God's holy nation of Jews, until there were Jews, there could be no non-Jews i.e. Gentiles. So that's just maybe splitting hairs or picking nits, but that's just my... That's why in the Plan of God Reader, you'll notice it's called the Dispensation of Man, followed by the Dispensation of Israel or the Dispensation of the Hebrews and then the Church. Uh, the Church, by the way, won't be eternally stewards on this earth because any moment now we're going to depart this place 
and uh, we won't be exercising earthly stewardship while we're occupied in heaven in the judgment seat, the wedding supper, and and the uh, millennial preparations that happen there. So uh, when the church is gone, of course, Israel resumes their stewardship as Romans uh, 9, 10, and 11 illustrate. So you can think your way through this way, okay? You can think your way through this way. And this is where it's important to understand God unfolds certain things way ahead of time and announces them, i.e. prophecy. Other things he does not unfold way ahead of time. He doesn't unfold ahead of time. He unfolds at the time or he unveils the mystery to show previously unrevealed truth. Something that was hidden and reserved for a subsequent Revelation, that's musterion, that's mystery. That's mystery. Now, when he announces, and the kingdom has been announced a long time before Matthew 13. John the Baptist was heralding the kingdom, saying, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then the, the king comes to be baptized, and behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. They were baptizing and preaching the kingdom from the very first part of Jesus' ministry. So kingdom teaching is not new. But at a very pivotal moment in the ministry of Jesus Christ to coincide with his uh, rejection, to coincide with the tipping point, as it were, where he stops proclaiming the imminency of it, he starts to introduce the mystery of it. He starts to speak of the kingdom of God for the first time in mystery application or mystery state is what I have coined as an expression. So the apostles are recipients of mystery doctrine. You might even pluralize that, mystery doctrines, because here in verse 11 it's called mysteries. To you it has been granted to know the mysteries, plural, of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. For whoever has, to him more shall be given, and he will have an abundance, but whoever does not have, even what he shall, uh, even what he has, shall be taken from him. There's a whole lot more teaching we can pour into that, but I think this addresses a lot of things dispensationally, stewardship responsibilities, even in terms of eternal reward. And when you throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, when you let someone else take your crown, there's a lot of teaching that goes into that. Now, mystery. So just like we have with the church, and you've got uh, mystery doctrine in terms of 1 Peter 1, in terms of Ephesians 3, we understand mystery doctrine relates to the church. But this is not a church-age text. This is Jesus speaking to Jewish disciples in the dispensation of Israel. But he's going to talk about the kingdom in a mystery application. That jumps out at you because that's not what he's been doing in Matthew 1 through 12 or any time from the baptism up till now. This is something new that he introduces with these parables. And here's what we want to understand with respect to this. Due to the rejection of the Christ in his first advent... The kingdom of heaven emphasis is changed. They're no longer going to announce that it is at hand. They're no longer going to announce that it is at hand. Because it's no longer at hand. Alright? Emphasis changes. It changes from at hand to postponed. From at hand to coming. Alright? No longer here, but coming. Also, the introduction of mystery language is a change of emphasis. It is no longer at hand. It is now not of this world. 
in John 12 and or John 18, rather, in verse 36, when Pilate says, you know, are you a king? And he says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would be fighting even now to release me. See, that's a change. What happened to the kingdom being in hand? Now it's no longer of this world. That's a change. That's a difference. And what we need to understand, and some of it is just going to blow our minds. Because, of course, what was God's eternal plan? What was God's plan from the foundation of the world? Was God surprised? Did this throw God for a loop? You know, was the kingdom of God really at hand? And then Israel just ruined it by rejecting the Christ. Now God says, oh, goodness, okay, plan B. Let's go ahead and uh, take the kingdom of heaven back to heaven and let's introduce a mystery. No, none of that, okay? When we say that due to the rejection, things have changed, understand me, that's entirely from our perspective. That's from the human standpoint of how the, the plan has unfolded upon this earth. God knew from eternity past that Israel would reject their king. He knew from eternity past that Adam and Eve were going to sin in the garden. He knew everything from eternity past. So these changes aren't eternal changes in God's plan. They're incorporated within his God plan. They're only changes as far as we relate to God's plan. Hope we're solid on that. But it is a change of emphasis as far as the stewards manifest the communication of that plan here on earth. And so Israel, the steward, can no longer say it's at hand. Israel, the steward, now must say it's not of this world. The kingdom of heaven is now limited on earth to a mystery state. The kingdom of heaven is now limited on earth to a mystery state until it is physically manifest at second advent. I say that again. The kingdom of heaven is now limited on earth to a mystery state. So don't try to bring in the kingdom in a physical state today. There's no business being here in a physical state until the second advent of Jesus Christ, until he comes as a conqueror to overthrow the forces of this cosmos. It is now limited on earth to a mystery state. This is why every attempt to create a theocracy, a Christian nation, quote unquote, where, uh, don't get me wrong, we want to have Christian influences in our politicians, in our government, in our culture, but we cannot claim our nation as a theocracy. And if we tried, we're, we're heretics. Israel is the theocracy for an earthly nation on the face of this planet. Mystery state. Maybe if you think about it, do you ever think of, um, remember back in World War II, I mean it still happens today, but there were several examples in World War II where a government had to go into exile, for example, because they were under occupation. See, um, you know, the Nazis occupied Poland and so the Polish government relocated to England and maintained their, their operations or maintained their identity. They were simply the Polish government in exile, okay? Uh, that might be a, a, a metaphor. That might be a concept that will help you to understand the kingdom of heaven in exile, as it were. The kingdom of heaven in mystery state, meaning that the king was rejected by his people, by the Jews, and he is now with the Father, with a promised return. Okay, And it, that day is coming. It is guaranteed. It is prophesied. It cannot be thwarted. 
It will not come one day too late, one day too early. It will come in the, in the perfection of the Father's timing. But it is in mystery state, not manifest physically, temporally, on this earth. Understand that we are aliens and strangers. This world is not our home. The government, the, the cosmos arrangement is a cosmos diabolicus. It is the Satan's fallen world system. And that is going to happen until Jesus Christ does, does away with it. So the kingdom of heaven is now limited on earth to a mystery state until it is physically manifest at second advent. Now, what I want you to understand, and I'll draw a picture and then I'll put the point up on the board. How about that? Think that'll work? If I turn this on and I switch over, something will work today. I refuse to go to bed tonight until one plan actually works. All right. It might be that the only plan that works today will be my plan to go to bed. All right. And I might have to go to multiple colors just to explain this. But we draw out timelines. Okay. And so from Adam to Abraham... Those were the Gentiles, or humanity, if you just want to call it the dispensation of man. See, that contrasts it with the angels that preceded. Angels had their own stewardship prior to man on the original earth, angelic earth. But then Israel had their stewardship. And now rather than a line, we just draw a parenthesis, because the church was a mystery unrevealed in the Old Testament, not foreseen by the prophets. But Israel's not done. Israel will continue. They have to continue. They have eternal promises. Those can't be done. They have um, 70 weeks, of which only 69 of those weeks for judgment have been executed. The 70th and most terrible week of judgment is still yet future. And then they have kingdom promises that follow. The thousand-year reign, the kingdom, which most pastors claim is a separate dispensation, so they draw a line there. I actually believe Israel maintains their stewardship towards the Gentile nations during that thousand-year governmental reign. Now, what I want you to understand is with kingdom of heaven, mystery state. And Elmo actually doesn't do the greatest at picking up color, so... We'll see how this works. With kingdom of heaven, mystery state, the stewards may not exactly line up with what we're talking about in terms of kingdom. Okay? Because the kingdom is anticipated by Israel. The kingdom is anticipated by Israel. And it is... Um, not the same as the kingdom of Israel. It's the kingdom of heaven. Thy will be done, the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Don't confuse the kingdom, the throne of David with the throne of God. Don't confuse the throne, the kingdom of Israel with the kingdom of heaven. Jesus, of course, is entitled to both thrones, but don't confuse the two thrones. So the kingdom is, is promised here. The kingdom is, uh, of course, going to be realized here. We even proclaim the kingdom here, the gospel of the kingdom shall go forth into the whole world. 
Okay, as we proceed from Jerusalem to Samaria to uh, Judea to the uttermost parts of the earth. Um, so understand that the principles of kingdom are not bound by the dispensational changes that occur. Okay, and what we have is, in other words, uh, you have here day of Pentecost that change stewards from Israel to the church. And you have rapture that changes stewardship away from the church back to Israel again. Okay, Those boundaries did not affect anything related to the kingdom of heaven. Changed nothing at all with respect to the kingdom of heaven. It only changed the household administrators, the stewards, of God's program on the earth. Have I lost you? Okay. Because what we're trying to illustrate in terms of kingdom of heaven is how it is no longer at hand. It is no longer it is now of this world. It is now limited to a mystery state. And what we're talking about is the time in between Israel's rejection and Israel's acceptance. This is the boundary then for kingdom of heaven, mystery state. And you can't see any of the red color on that, can you? Okay. Another bright idea didn't work. So, what are the goalposts? What are the boundaries for the church? Church started when? Day of Pentecost, that's right. It was a Sunday in uh, May of 33 A.D., okay? I think it was May 28th. You know, who cares? Um, when will the church end? Rapture, okay? Which I'm hoping is today, okay? Those are the boundaries for the church. And within those boundaries, we are the stewards of God's plan on earth, meaning we are uh, entrusted with the oracles of God. We are the communicators of His gospel message. We are the representatives of, uh, of his holiness and righteousness as, as a light in a world of darkness. We have our stewardship function. Our stewardship function, by the way, does not mean political, military, economic dominance of this globe. Or even political, economic, military participation in this globe. You have freedom to participate. You have freedom not to participate. It's a temporal life issue. It has no bearing on your stewardship. So... Okay, you got goalposts. That's great. Now, the goalposts for the kingdom of heaven mystery state. Different set of goalposts. Okay? And we're defining it in the context of Matthew 13 and in the context of prophetic scriptures that look ahead to the coming kingdom. Right? We are showing the kingdom of heaven mystery state as the time in between the rejection, Israel's national rejection of their king, and the acceptance of their king. Now, the acceptance of their king is second advent. And, and it comes about because of the hell they get put through in the tribulation. They are put through the fiery wrath of God's judgment. And, and literally hell. I mean, the gates of hell are unleashed. Demons, 200 million of them, flood from the abyss and fill this globe and, and afflict humanity. The tribulation is not fun. 
All right. And it's going to take that kind of discipline to humble the Jewish people. So when their king does come, they will look upon him whom they pierced and they will be crushed. They will be humbled and Israel will accept their king. All Israel shall be saved only under that context and application. Now, so that's the acceptance of their kingdom at second advent. Be honest with you, at first advent, they didn't want anything to do with the kingdom of heaven. Spiritual values, heavenly glories, righteousness. No, no, no. They were wrapped up in temporal life. They wanted to break the bonds of Rome, conquer the world, finally get their payback to those Gentiles. Oh, they were, they were, they were entirely focused on temporal life. And they rejected their king. He came to bring them the bread from heaven. They didn't want any part of it. They wanted their bellies filled. But they didn't want the message. They didn't want the doctrine. They didn't want the, the content of what the Father was trying to teach them. No, no, no. They didn't want any of that. They wanted an earthly kingdom. So, the rejection. Now, some people say that, well, that's the cross and that's the second advent. The rejection actually came ahead of the cross. The rejection came during the ministry when more and more opposition, hatred, murder was plotted. The rejection came prior to the cross. You could say that the rejection was culminated in the cross, and that's a fair statement. Uh, But the rejection actually was building and building and building, leading up to Calvary. And, um, And so within these boundaries then is our kingdom of heaven mystery state. And that's my abbreviation, K-O-H-M-S. You want to write that down? Capital K, little O, capital H. That's for kingdom of heaven. And then in parentheses, M-S, close parentheses. See, if you see it on the screen, it's easier. If you're listening on the MP3 file, you just think, I've lost my mind. Capital K, lowercase O, capital H, Open parentheses, capital M, capital S, close parentheses. And that's your, that's your expression, okay? That's your expression. Kingdom of heaven, mystery state. Unless you want to write out kingdom of heaven, mystery state in longhand every time. Just abbreviate it, K-O-H-M-S. But keep in mind now, this is where people get thrown into turmoil. Kingdom of heaven, mystery state includes... The church. It includes the tribulation. Both ages, the dispensation of the church, age of the apostles, age of law, the dispensation of Israel, age of tribulation, all of those stewardships fall under the kingdom of heaven mystery state. So when we give the gospel, we're giving the gospel of the kingdom, but it's in the mystery state of the kingdom. Likewise, when we're raptured out of here and Israel resumes their, their stewardship, what gospel are they going to be proclaiming? The kingdom of heaven mystery state. Only for them it's going to be mystery state with a very imminent return. With a very pending um, conquering by their king, by Jesus Christ himself. Ours is imminent departure. Theirs is imminent return. But both the church and Israel in the tribulation are going to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. Mystery state. Okay? Kingdom of heaven, mystery state. So when we teach the parables that are related to kingdom of heaven, mystery state, like the parable of the sower, the parable of the mustard seed, the parable of the leaven, the uh, parable of the tares and the wheat, 
the parable of the hidden treasure, pearl of great price, dragnet. There are, there are concepts in those parables that confuse dispensationalists. And here's why. Because dispensationalists are fastidious line-in-the-sand drawers to say a passage has to either be the church or has to be Israel. can't be both. It's got to be one or the other. And put things in boxes and divide them up and rightly divide the word of truth. That's it. We're rightly dividing the word of truth. I'm not being critical of that. We need to do that. We need to rightly divide the word of truth. But accept that there are applications, and this is one of them, that apply to both. Apply to both the church and Israel. Not all of Israel, but only Israel in the tribulation. Only Israel in between the rejection of their king and the acceptance of their king. Because this is the scope of what we're talking about for kingdom of heaven, mystery, state. Kingdom of Heaven Mystery State is in between the rejection of the of the king and the acceptance of the king by the nation of Israel. And so it includes the church. We right now in the church are functioning during and throughout the Kingdom of Heaven Mystery State. And so too will Israel in the tribulation. Because the Kingdom of Heaven will remain Mystery State until such time as it is manifest on the earth. Was that worthwhile? Does that make sense? Okay. I also want to show you, let me, can I, okay, hey, why not? In for an inch, you know, what was that? In for a dollar. How's that go? That's one of those expressions they used to use in the olden days. All right. Um, <laughs> so why did you know it? Oh, okay. Let me show you one other passage that gives people fits. And that is a reference in Luke to the times of the Gentiles. Okay? There's an expression in Luke. Anybody running Labronics right now? There's an expression somewhere in Luke called the times of the Gentiles. And it's when Jesus was talking about the trampling of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple and... Uh, the uh, the difficulties they're going to encounter in uh, the tribulational age and so forth. Luke twenty one twenty four. Okay, excellent. And that one, this is just extra credit today, no extra charge. The reference there to the times of the Gentiles really, really bothers some dispensationalists because they get it confused, and they think that it applies to the dispensation of the Gentiles from Adam to Abraham. And they say, well, how can that still be future with, uh, you know, with uh, the tribulational application of Gentile armies surrounding Jerusalem and trampling the temple and defiling the holy place and so forth? Understand that that's another set of goalposts right there. And that's a set of goalposts that actually backs up to here and deals with the... um, deals with uh, 586 B.C. and the uh, vacant Davidic throne. Five eighty six B.C. Nebuchadnezzar vacated the Jewish throne, the Davidic throne. 
First of all, he took Jehoiakim off, and then he put Zedekiah on there, and then he took Zedekiah off and put nobody on there, and the thing's been vacant ever since. And even when Persia let Israel go back to the land and rebuild their temple and rebuild their walls and all that, they didn't let them reseat the Davidic throne. Okay? From Jehoiakim on, there has not been a Davidic king on the Davidic throne. The Maccabees was not a Davidic throne. Maccabees was an abomination. It was a priestly line trying to be king-priests. Jews today revere them and worship them, and they view the Hasmonean dynasty, the Maccabees, as a golden age of rabbinic Judaism. It was a blasphemous heresy with a priest-king rejecting the line of David, rejecting the tribe of Judah. So, from the, the, the vacant Davidic throne until uh, Jesus Christ takes his throne, second advent, that is another set of goalposts that, we, that was re- referenced there in Luke called the times or the seasons, the times of the Gentiles there. Nothing to do with stewardship, nothing to do with Gentiles, Israel, church, kingdom, none of that. Okay? Just keep that in mind. Another set of goalposts. From, the, from vacating David's throne to seating David's throne. In between those two goalposts, beginning marker, ending marker, is where Gentiles have dominion over Jewish people. The Gentiles have dominion over Jewish people. And uh, even to this day, Israel, they have a nation again, but do they have freedom or are they under Gentile domination? Say. Well, they've been under Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome. They've been under Arabs. They've been under Turks. They've been under Egyptians. They've been under uh, Latins. They were under Romans again, you know, Latins again, Catholics in the Crusader kingdoms. They, uh, and now they're dependent upon America for security and funding and, and uh, national support. You wonder how much longer that's going to continue. They will at some point turn to Antichrist for protection and support. Prophetically, that's clear. So, the, the vacant Davidic throne with Jehoiakim, the restored Davidic throne under Jesus, that's another set of boundaries. Keep it in your mind. File it away. Because it's, it's, been in, it's been in effect since 586 B.C. Hopefully it will be remedied here in about seven more years. All right. Can't be remedied this year. Why not? The tribulation has to precede the kingdom. That's right. Yeah, so even if we're raptured today, even if we're raptured before 11 a.m., there's still the 70th week of Daniel to go. There's still at least, um, what is that, 1,260 days. Okay? That's only three and a half years. There's still uh, 2,520 days. All right. Back to the slideshow then. The kingdom of heaven is now limited on earth to a mystery state until it is physically manifest at second advent. This is the impact of thy will be done, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of heaven is presently in heaven. It is only on earth in a mystery state represented by those ambassadors you and I, that are living here as pilgrims, as aliens and strangers. The term kingdom of heaven, mystery state. There you have it. K-O-H-M-S. 
references the time frame between Israel's rejection of Christ and ultimate acceptance of Christ. From the rejection to the acceptance. And that's why it's a mystery. A mystery state. Because when the, the advent of Christ was prophesied by Moses, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, all the prophets, they spoke of the coming Christ, the coming Christ. And they didn't say he's coming twice. They said he's coming. And uh, some of the prophets wrestled with that idea because they had a suffering Christ in certain prophecies. And they had a triumphal reigning Christ in other prophecies. And they, you know, scratched their prophetic heads and said, hmm, how does that work? Okay, how does that work? First Peter chapter 1 and verse 10. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. They really, really, really... It's a stumbling block. They, it, it, they could not grapple with the suffering Christ, the glory in Christ. And so they came to a couple of different possibilities. Is it a person? Is it a question of person or is it a question of time? Seeking to know what person or time. Are there two different Christs? Is it the person question that solves the problem? Or is it a time question? Is it the same Christ coming two times? What person or time? And they wanted to know. that. Basically, they couldn't figure it out any other way. They said, is it going to be two persons or two times? The same person two times. And then it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. Once the mystery of the church unfolded, then, voila, things are clear. Same Christ, two times. And in between is the calling forth of a bride. Didn't know any of that in the Old Testament times. They were just... And you, and you know which passages were popular. <laughs> you know? Which one's preaching the synagogue? You bet. It's the kingdom. It's the glory. It's the reign. It's the glories. It's... Not the suffering. Are you kidding me? Israel's had enough suffering. We don't want to think about our Christ suffering. So, this is the this is the issue here. The prophets of old were just preaching about a coming kingdom, a coming king, a coming Messiah. And the idea that Israel would reject the one they've been waiting for ever since Moses, that they would be wa- that they would reject their Christ, and that He'd have to come back a second time. That uh, that was not revealed. That was kept in mystery. That's why kingdom of heaven mystery state. That's why the parables are given as the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Now, when you when you talk about that time frame between Israel's rejection and ultimate acceptance, then you're going to include dispensationally two different dispensations. You're going to include the dispensation of the church, the entirety of the church, age of apostles, age of local church, Pentecost, rapture. The whole church is in this. But you're also going to include the dispensation of Israel, age of tribulation. The age of tribulation also falls between the rejection of the Christ and the acceptance of the Christ. It's actually the process by which Israel, the Jews, will accept their king. So, I I, I want to take the time to stress this. Because I don't think if you teach it once, everything's going to sink in. Probably if you teach it twice, not everything's going to sink in. But understand that 
that the things that are taught in these parables do have a church application. Although I've known dispensationalists to say, nope, not for us, not for us. That's all Israel. Kind of like Sermon on the Mount. You know, just rip those pages out of your Bible. It has nothing to do with us. I've also known dispensationalists that take it as kingdom of heaven. Uh, Matthew 13 parables are entirely about the church, have nothing at all to do with Israel. That's a problem, too. That's a problem, too. This is not an either or. This is a both and. The kingdom of heaven mystery state is both church and tribulation application. All right. Now, that's a lot of groundwork in 53 minutes. So as to then teach the parables in seven minutes. But they are very short parables. So let me skip on down. Um, I have no idea what slot I'm aiming for. Let's just try that. And that's one too far. As usual, I have gone too far. Kind of the story of my life. All right. The mustard seed. What is this mustard seed? I already told you. Explosive growth. Explosive growth. That's what's being taught. That's what's being illustrated. Uh, Mustard seed and leaven, by the way, do not have explanations. Not in this text. Not like the parable of the sower does, the parable of the wheat and tares. The parable of the sower, he gives the parable and then he gives the explanation a few verses later. Parable of the wheat and tares, he gives the parable. He gives the explanation a few verses later. Here, he stops giving the explanations explicitly in the text, but they are understood because of what we've already learned from the previous parables. The principles are obvious. Once you learn how the parables work, and he's explained the first two, you don't need the explanations for these. They're self-explanatory. Mustard seed teaches extraordinary growth, phenomenal growth. You know, when you think about population growth, sometimes it increases, sometimes it decreases. But through evangelism, how fast can the kingdom grow? How fast can the kingdom grow in any given year, in any given month, in any given week, on any given day? You know, in physical growth, it takes roughly nine months, right, for a baby to come along. Man... God could spark a revival, could spark a, an evangelism explosion, right? You heard that term before? And, man, we could have, we could have, well, look what happened in the day of Pentecost. Look what happened in the early stages of the church. There were thousands and thousands and thousands being added to the church daily. Extraordinary growth of the mustard seed illustrates the phenomenal growth of the redeemed. And this is both in the church age, which we've seen, Usually under times of hostility, persecution, affliction. When Romans were throwing Christians to the lions, it was the best thing that could have happened to the church. When Constantine made Christianity the official state religion of the Roman Empire, the worst thing that could have happened to the church. Convinced of that. We can debate it, but I have the easier side in that debate. And there, too, is a confusion between kingdom of heaven, mystery state, and let's manifest it here on this earth. I I doubt Constantine was even saved. 
It also has application in the tribulation. You know what their evangelism is going to be like in the tribulation? It's going to start with the gospel proclaimed by angels and then some Jews are going to get saved and then 144,000 Jews, before you know it, are not only going to be saved, but they're going to be sealed and they're going to become evangelists worldwide. And they're going to have impact so much that the redeemed of the tribulational age, Revelation 14 tells us, are from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, so many they can't even be counted. Wow. Mustard seed right there. So the parable of mustard seed, you see right here, you've got principles that apply to the church, but also applies to the tribulation. Israel and the tribulation. That's why kingdom of heaven mystery state is in between the rejection of the Christ, the acceptance of the Christ, encompassing both the church age and the age of tribulation. First principle is extraordinary growth. Second principle, nesting activity of the birds. Nesting activity of the birds. This illustrates the attention that Satan's angels pay to the assemblies of born-again believers. Where do the birds choose to nest? In the branches of that mustard tree. Bible teaching churches that are equipping the saints with armor, with armament, with ministry. Do they come under angelic focus? Amen. <laughs> All day, every day. All right. That's why our marriages are under attack. That's why our single people are under attack. That's why our deacons are under attack. That's why our men in training are under attack. That's why your pastor's under attack. That's why uh, Cliff's under attack. Absolutely. Knock that kid out before he gets to work, right? Before he can take a pulpit, before he can be planted in a lampstand, if that's what the Father's doing. You better believe the adversary would, would knock him out before he ever gets up and running. Absolutely. Same thing with these men under training. Get them derailed. Get them focused. Get them uh, or unfocused. Get them distracted. Keep them from even finishing their training. Birds, by the way, uh, in the Matthew 13 context, who were the ones that came up and snatched the seed from that was sown by the roadside? Those were the birds. Adversaries of the, or agents of the adversary. Parable of the leaven teaches the pervasiveness of sin. The pervasiveness of sin. And by pervasiveness, what am I talking about? How it spreads, how it filters, how it goes from believer to believer to believer. Pervasiveness of sin throughout the kingdom of heaven mystery state, which is why you have to cut it out. It's gangrene. You've got to cut it out. Church discipline, corporate discipline has to be executed in the church age and in the tribulation. The conflict is just too severe. Sin has been, there's been sin in every age, don't get me wrong. Gentiles had sin, that's why the flood came and destroyed you know, in Noah's day. Israel had sin, of course, before the mystery state. Uh, that's why they had the captivity. Sin has been common in every dispensation and age, but throughout the kingdom of heaven mystery state, sin will work in a particularly leavenish manner. Is leavenish a word? It is now. In a particularly leavenish manner in order to poison or corrode believers from within. To poison or corrode believers from within. And trust me, there are entire branches of Christianity that are nothing but leaven anymore. There's an occasional believer scattered here and there. But by and large, branches of Christianity 
When you think about the Roman branch, the Orthodox branch, the Protestant branch, think about where the leaven has gone and what the leaven has done. And even within the Protestant branch, all the, the various denominations and state churches and national churches and, and different things and what happens with the leaven. I believe that's why new, uh, new churches get started every year, why new denominations get started. There's always a, a faithful remnant that says, you know what, let's get a church going that teaches the Bible. And maybe someday in our kids' generation or something, uh, categorical doctrinal Bible churches will be just as leavened and faithful believers will say, you know what? Let's start a Bible church. Let's start, a, let's start something where pastors and flocks can minister the Word of God. This is true in the church age. This is true in the tribulation. Leaven will be a, a, a facet that the 144,000 are going to have to fight. The ministry of the two witnesses is going to have to get active to, to kill the leaven. Discipline will have to be applied so that uh, believers are not poisoned or corroded from uh, from within. All right, we are out of time. Just glance with me, though. Uh, understand the rest of these. Um, are you still in Matthew 13? I don't even know where you guys are today. All right, Matthew 13, verse 44. A treasure hid in a field. And then, uh, so what's that? That's land, right? A field, land, earth, dirt. Uh, and then again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. What's, where's that? Water, ocean, the seas. Okay. The earth metaphor is speaking of Israel. The sea metaphor is speaking of Gentiles. You have applications here between the parable of the hidden treasure and the pearl of great price and the dragnet. You've got applications here that cross the dispensational boundaries. The treasure hidden in the field is Israel. They're currently on hold. But they're not abandoned. They're simply a hid treasure buried in a field. And then the fine pearls, the pearl of great price. That's not the Mormon pearl of great price. All right. <laughs> All right. But the treasure of the sea and, and the seas representing the Gentiles and the blessings we have in the church to be both Jew and Gentile united together in one body forever. And then the dragnet. Cast a net in the sea and you gather in all kinds of fish. And what all are you going to get? A little bit of everything. And in the church, of course, you're going to get true believers. You're going to get professing believers that aren't even saved to begin with. You're going to get uh, believers that are dedicated to teaching and believers that don't give a hoot about teaching. They're saved, they're regenerate, but they're not disciples. The dragnet teaches a lot about the church. also teaches a lot about the tribulation. All right, well, there's... Uh, Wow, that's a lot. That's the, uh, let me pull up the website. Um, that is in a one hour and two minute roller coaster. That is Kingdom of Heaven Mystery State. If you want more on that, just go to AustinBibleChurch.com. Go to the Life of Christ page, which you can either navigate to manually or type it in uh, AustinBibleChurch.com slash LOC. LOC.ASP, that's Life of Christ. And then you'll note up here is your table of contents up near the top, the Galilean ministry of Jesus. Scroll on down to the Kingdom of Heaven parables. Um, Kingdom of Heaven parables. 
There it is. Famous parables of the kingdom. Boom. All right. Famous parables of the kingdom. Lessons 131, 132, 133, 134, and 135. Okay. Five hours of teaching. If today was a roller coaster and you, your head's spinning because we crammed it all in, a, in an hour and three minutes, um, go to the website. There's five lessons there. 131, 132, 133, 134, 135. And uh, they're just sitting there minding their own mp3 business go get them anytime you want and uh, get more teaching on these we'll also make some photocopies you can walk out of here with the paper notes in hand thank you father for this time thank you for your grace thank you for encompassing such a great and marvelous plan and allowing each one of us to be participants fellow workers in that plan and father as we are eager to see the kingdom of heaven mystery state become a kingdom of heaven reality, physical reality on this earth. Father, we are uh, anxious and eager. We are looking for and even hastening that coming day as we are busy to proclaim Christ to a lost and dying world. We look around us and we see the fields are indeed white unto the harvest. Father, we're beseeching you, send forth workers into that harvest. Um, cause us to be sensitive when people are asking us questions, when any might ask us for the hope that is within us. Let our feet be shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Let us be quick to give an account, to give an answer for that hope that is within us. Thank you, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.